four U.S. soccer teams in four wins, and the dream week continues for U.S. soccer. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. With me is Ivis Galarsep. What's cracking, man? Nothing much, Garrett. It has been a crazy, crazy couple of weeks, but this past week especially. And if you're an American soccer fan, you're probably not getting much sleep, but you're, you're definitely doing a lot of celebrating these days. I know. I think I'm thinking, like, you know, win over the Netherlands. Things are going pretty good. Oh, you know, if you draw Germany, lose to the last second, that's not too bad. No, the U.S. has to go out and beat Germany and then continue this wave of momentum, Ivis. I mean, hopefully this never ends. Hopefully it goes all the way to the 2018 World Cup for the men's and also continues with the World Cup for the women this year. It's not just the men. It's the women. It's the 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 U23s finished third at the Toulon tournament uh, before, and then the U20s with a with a dramatic, uh, emphatic, not emphatic, but a dramatic win against Colombia to make it to the quarterfinals of the Under 20 World Cup. And uh, you know, for those you know, for those people who stayed up for that match, I mean, that was another thriller. Uh, but yeah, just unbelievable week. Everything seems to be heading in a good direction, and uh, it's a far cry from where things were you know maybe three you know two three months ago when uh, it, it seemed like nothing could go right yes and time changes everything so we have a big show today ivis untapped we'll preview mls weekend talk a little nasl and also talk about a little bit of the americans abroad that are on the move down in mexico before we get into all of that usa all over germany well not all over but hey they defeated them two to one the young guys continue to deliver for jurgen klinsman and ivis Talk about it. I mean, back-to-back wins. The Netherlands, that's one thing. But then defeating Germany in Germany, the World Cup champs. Oh, my gosh. I mean, what a result for the U.S. men's national team. No, it was big. It was a big win. And um, obviously, you have to temper expectations. You have to temper it a bit. It was a friendly. It was a German, clear-cut German B team. I mean, they were missing, obviously, a lot of their top stars. Uh, but having said that, it was still a strong team. It was still in Germany. It was still a place that you'd never won before as a U.S. team. So for them to go out and win, um, especially the way the game started out, I mean, the first half, Germany was just thoroughly dominating. I mean, they were knocking the ball around in complete control, and it looked like it was going to be an ugly one. It was mm-hmm. going to be one. It looked like it was going to be one of these games that U.S. fans dread, where your team just gets completely outclassed. And for about thirty-five minutes, that was that's what was happening. But then credit to the U.S. They 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 turned it around. They got that equalizer, and then the second half was a completely different. Uh, atmosphere completely different game the u.s took control they dominated the second half michael bradley with another outstanding performance man of the match performance and if you're klinsman you 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 have to be walking with your head up pretty high because you know you gotta get you have to give him credit he scheduled these games and when he scheduled them i know there were a lot of people that were like are you crazy for scheduling both these teams back to back before uh, before the Gold Cup, I mean, are you risking, you know, the the team psyche being shattered by a couple of losses? But no, the guy had confidence. He, he he wanted his team to be tested, and look at them. They passed the test, and right now, they, you got to think they they got a bit of swagger heading into the Gold Cup. Exactly. And when you mentioned that defeating Germany, I mean, think about this: under Jurgen Klinsmann's watch, you have win over Germany and Germany. Netherlands and Netherlands, Mexico and Mexico, Italy and Italy. I mean, it's just another feather in the cap for Jurgen Klinsmann. And even before this week, um, I mean, you could definitely say that he raised the bar for the U.S. team. But still, I mean, this week it just it just hammers home that fact that even more that, look, under Jurgen Klinsmann, this U.S. team overall has performed pretty well. I mean, knocking off top European powerhouses, look, it it can happen every once in a while if you're, if you're a country, right? You, you can catch a team at the wrong time. But I mean, this is the fourth, fifth, you know, strong European team in Europe that the U.S. is able to beat. I mean, it's just outstanding to see this from U.S. soccer. I mean, the progression, the continuation of getting better, which is important. It's nice to see it still happening. I mean, uh, I, it, I feel like it's it's it. That was a nice statement to make, but I feel like it overstates the whole thing. It's progress. It's positive, but you have to have some context in this whole thing. Uh, I think it, 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 the positive. It, it, I don't think from a big picture standpoint, it means that the U.S. is a big as a uh, overall ha- has gone leaps and bounds. What I think it has happened here, and what's been good to see is young players really showing confidence. Young players stepping up, meeting the challenge, not not wavering, not not shrinking in the spotlight. And that that's the for me that's the big positive in this whole thing because. We've seen the U.S. win games before. I mean, you can go back years when, you know, the U.S. beat Germany, the U.S. beat Argentina, 
Uh, and I'm sure back then the, th- the the thought was, oh, these th- these are you know these are tide turning moments. The U.S. has arrived. The U.S. is re- is is just as good as the powers. And like, no, it's not quite that. But what the good thing to see is these young players make the most of their opportunities, and it, it, it's that's like that's a clear sign of progress because. I know there's a lot of talk about uh, all the problems that the U.S. has in terms of player development and players developing later and not and not being able to keep up with with the top countries in the world. But what we've seen at least now is 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 the, the next this next generation show some some guts and show some quality and show some confidence. And if you're Klinsman, you gotta love that because you're thinking about 2018. You're thinking about mm-hmm. trying to put that team together, and now he's starting to see. The serious glimpses of quality that he can build around. And that is more important. For me, that's more important than the results. When you talk about the quality, I mean, there's no question that you could say that Bobby Wood and Jordan Morris definitely took advantage of these two. I mean, I'm just talking about younger guys. I mean, look, Michael Bradley, we know what Michael Bradley can do. We know what Kyle Beckerman can do. But when you look at the younger guys, Bobby Wood and Jordan Morris, I mean, you could definitely say that these two guys took their game to the next level and really took advantage of these two matches. Well, I mean, they they did well. I mean, take their game to the next level. That's that that remains to be seen. Time will tell. I mean, Bobby Wood, it was an unbelievable week. I mean, you can't even imagine. I mean, not not many would have picked us to win those both those games as it is. No one would have picked Bobby Wood to score the winner in both those. So that's great for him. It's a confidence boost for him. But it doesn't all of a sudden make him a great player. It doesn't all of a sudden make him someone who's going to make the Gold Cup team or that or he's a national team starter. But what that those moments do is give him some confidence to boost. so he can now go into his club situation and 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 be better and play better and have more belief in himself. So that that's the the for me that's what this stuff means. It doesn't mean now all of a sudden that Bobby Wood is now a good player and not, and now no not ready. at all not at all but, but it, they but, they, but they seize the opportunity. Yeah, I mean he did well. That's it, yeah, fine. He did, I guess that's the, no. I, I feel like it's a little overcooked. The, the whole season the opportunity thing. But, yeah, he did that. He did well. Well, but no. Now, he, look, Bobby Wood has shown. He's crea- he, now he's created an opportunity. It, now yeah, there you go. There you go. He's created an opportunity. Jordan, for me, Jordan Morris, yes, you can say he just keeps on seizing opportunities. Every every time, every chance he gets, you whether it's U23s, whether it's a senior team, he keeps on impressing. And, I mean, I, I know I've been the one. I, I've been one of the people at least saying, look, you know, he's still raw. He still has to develop. It's a little far fetched to to expect this much too much from him. But if he keeps on doing this, game after game, no matter the opponent, mm-hmm. I mean, at a certain point, you gotta have to just be like, okay, fine, let's see more of this kid. Let's put him on the Gold Cup roster. I mean, if you'd have told me three months ago, Jordan Morris for the Gold Cup, I'd have thought you were, you were drunk. But I mean, now it's like the, he he just keeps making an impact off the bench, and 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 I think everyone sees the quality that he has. And obviously, yes, he still has things to learn, but. You gotta love how exciting a prospect he is. And speaking of Jordan Morris, I mean, he came on right away, had that beautiful shot with the outside part of his right foot. Great to see that from a young player. When you're talking about on the other end of the spectrum, Ivis, guys who who didn't have a good performance in these two matches, you, you can kind of look at the defense as a whole. As a whole, but this shouldn't be surprising when you have two young guys out there like John Brooks and Ventura Alvarado. I mean, how did you assess the defensive performance against Germany? First forty-five shaky, second forty-five a little improved. See, so here's my thing, right? I mean, shaky. I feel like it's a bit much because I think here's what it comes down to: Germany, they made a good play. Herman, Herman was a handful on the right for them, the speedster from Mönchengladbach. They did score the good goal. Ventura Alvarado got just flat out lost his man. He, and I know some people were trying to uh, put the blame on Chandler because, and, you know, if you watch it, if you catch the, the latter part of a play, it, it's just kind of easy to blame the guy closest to the goal scorer. But, I mean, th- that was Alvarado's guy. He lost his mark. But then, I mean, aside from that, I mean, I think if anything, the, the midfield was dominated in the first half more so than the defense being terrible because, I mean, when it came down to it, Germany scored one goal, uh, but they did dominate possession for, you know, 30, 35 minutes. Uh, so for me, the defense, I mean, Chandler, Timmy Chandler, I'd say over the body of the two games, as a right back, he did not impress me. Second half against Germany, he did better at left back. Uh, um, Fabian Johnson at left back, he did okay. But he, again, you go, you always have to consider the opponent. He was going up against his against his teammate actually from Munchen Gladbach and Herman. And Herm, Herman's speed was just, I mean, this, this guy's legit. And then he was causing problems for him. But for me, I thought John Brooks did well. I thought he 
followed up a, a better second half against the Dutch with what I thought was a really complete performance against the Netherlands. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, against uh, Germany, uh, it wasn't a man of the match type level performance, but it was, it was solid. I mean, his passing was good. He was good in the air. He, he, he cut off, he cut off the plays that he needed to cut off. I, I thought it was the kind of performance that shows you that he can start against, against quality competition. And, and that shouldn't be a surprise. The guy starts and plays well in, in the Bundesliga, but you know we've we've been waiting to see him do it for the U.S. Uh, and and I thought I mean obviously at the, at the World Cup he did he he had his good moments there obviously against Ghana he had a great second half but you've been waiting since then to see him kind of re- like show that again and I feel like against the Germans he did that and for me right now if you're Matt Beisler you're really you've got a fighter in your hands for that starting left center mm-hmm. back spot and I think right now I get you got to give Brooks the edge um, when you look at the midfield though I, I think without question though that Michael Bradley is the man of the match. Right. Yeah. I mean, not only so here's the thing, like not only obviously best player for the U.S., but what has been what I mean, has been really, really impressive is that you can definitely argue that in both these wins against Netherlands, Germany, he was the best player on the field. And I mean, that's I mean, you're talking about sharing a field with Mario Goza, uh, Mesut Ozil. I mean, Schweinsteiger. I mean, these, these are top level players. And Michael Bradley really stood out. I mean, he and, and again, like he it's it's not. On one hand, it's like you, you're not shocked that he'd be the best American player, but then to see him against high-level competition thrive and, and 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 just completely meet the challenge—I mean, that is great to see, and it's what you want to see from a captain. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think, and and what kind of stuck to my mind was remembering—you know, obviously there was all the talk about Clemson being concerned about his top players coming back to MLS and how it would affect their form. I tell you what. For being in MLS, like, I mean, like Michael Bradley's form does not seem to be affected. Like he, he, I mean, in these two games, he's played as well as I can remember him ever playing. Mm-hmm. And so, from that standpoint, MLS doesn't seem to be doing him much, much harm. So I thought that was impressive. And I tell you, even more than Michael Bradley, and I thought Kyle Beckerman really showed why he's still, even at his age, is still pretty indispensable. And why, why as much as some people would have figured he would have gotten pushed out by now because of his age, he's still an important part of this team. And for me, I mean, right now, you got to say, he's he's going to, if he's healthy and he's there, he will start at the Gold Cup. Gold Cup, dude. World Cup, Ivis. Kyle Beckerman's going to be around to the World Cup. You watch. Uh, He'll be, what, uh, 60 years old at that point, but you he'll watch. Have, his dreadlocks will be gray. <laughs> Uh, but no, no. Look, I'm not, look. There's no point in t- looking that far ahead. That's not I know. Right I'm, now. I know. I'm joking. But yes, Kyle he, Beckerman continues to just do his thing. It's he. I mean, he made such an impact in the second half. I mean, it's a different game. Yeah. Uh, and he was a big part of that. So I think. I think for me that. And with all the young contenders, all the young uh, up and comers in the, you know, in in the central midfield role, Discarude, Morales, Danny Williams. I mean, a lot of younger options that you could look at. Perry Kitchen and and Beckerman's still your guy and and he's not going anywhere. I mean, he's for the Gold Cup. He is going to be key, absolutely key for the, the, them winning that tournament. Uh, one other guy, real quickly before we move on to the Gold Cup preliminary roster that Jurgen Klinsmann put out, uh, Mix Discrude. I mean, when I saw the roster came out, I was kind of like, huh, Mix on the left side. I'm not too sure about that. Goes out there, creates space for himself, which allows Michael Bradley to play that really nice pass to him. How did you assess Mix Discrude's performance? I thought, well, I mean, I thought in this game he did well. Obviously, um, he scored that uh, scored that unbelievable goal. Um, but overall, I mean, he, in, in both these games, I mean, I thought he stepped up. I know a lot of people were thinking, you know, you know, he's struggling for NYC. He's not really making impact. I mean, he started off well for NYC for the first few games there. I mean, the passing stats were through the roof, and he really was showing his quality. But then he kind of faded a bit and got quiet. But I think, in it, I think. Now, in, in this particular set of matches, when you had Danny Williams, Alfredo Morales, all these guys there, I thought Mr. Screw did really well for himself. And, you know, I think for me, he, he had a better set of games than Williams, although Williams, I thought, did well. And he definitely had a better set of games than Alfredo Morales. So from that standpoint, I think this group has definitely reasserted himself uh, in in the pegging order. And, and I think, you know, when we start in the Gold Cup, uh, that's going to be uh, up for up up for debate still, but I think he he has definitely shown that he gets up he gets up for these games he gets up for these national team games, uh, and they definitely bring the best out of him. 
And Jurgen Klinsmann was looking to bring the best out of all these players. That's why he scheduled all these tough opponents in 2015 because that leads it up to a very important 2015 Gold Cup, Ivis, where the U.S., who already won the 2013 Gold Cup, if they can go out and win this Gold Cup, that's automatic birth into the Confederations Cup, which is held a year before the World Cup. Another opportunity for the U.S. to go against some top European powerhouses. We remember that from a couple years ago when the U.S. knocked off Spain and played and, and played Brazil in the third place game, uh, which then set up the, uh, the the run the 2010 World Cup. So Jurgen Klinsmann, Ivis, has already put out his preliminary roster for the Gold Cup, and of course, it's giving us plenty to talk about with names that are all over the place. You have guys like Demarcus Beasley, who supposedly retired from international soccer. You have an Alan Gordon siding, Perry Kitchens here. Uh, you have the typical names: Clint Dempsey, Josie Altador, uh, Matt Beasler. Then you have some other young guys. I mean, this is just a preliminary roster, Ivis. But as of right now, it is all over the place with guys that you're going to call in. Right. I mean, look, some of these names. You know, I know they're going to be a bit surprising, but I mean, obviously, when you're talking about a 35-man group. Um, it's not necessarily going to be the 35 best players. I mean, you're going to look at maybe some players who bring something unique to the table, obviously like an Alan Gordon. Now, if you think about the fact that, let's just say hypothetically, something happens with Josie Altidore now, in between now and and the Gold Cup. Let's say he gets gets hurt again. Um, And if you want a true target forward, you you want a strong forward that you can put up top, um, you know, Aaron Johansson's not that guy. Aguadelo's not really that guy. Then maybe Alan Gordon, you know, if he's still on form, if he's, if he's healthy, I mean, he, show, he showed in World Cup qualifying last go round. And mm-hmm. you know what? He can, he, he can do a job for you. So uh, from that standpoint, it's not totally crazy. Uh, and DeMarcus Beasley, you can understand the, the, the experience factor, uh, the, the presence in the locker room, what he brings to the table. I think the fact that Jermaine Jones is out of the picture now that he, now that he's injured, um, that there's a void there. There's going to be a void in the locker room in terms of leadership, in terms of, um, you know, older vocal experienced uh, player. Um, so maybe that can, maybe, maybe Beasley will be that kind of player. I mean, it's still, uh, yet to be determined if he's going to make the team, but I think, I think it gives Klinsman that option. He's going to see how these next few months play out and, and, and tries to get a sense for what, the overall roster will look like. But, I mean, I don't think anyone should get too crazy about some of the names that are no. on here. I'm sure as far as names that aren't on there, I think that is, I think people are going to be a lot more up in arms about some of the players who are missing. Like, who are you talking about? Uh, <clears throat> uh, Benny Fellhaber? You know, I mean, I, for me, I'm not surprised by that. I mean, I've been saying it for a while that, that you know, Klinsman doesn't rate him. And no one should be surprised by this at this point. And I think people who are, you know, outraged by it just haven't been paying attention. Yes, I know. Phil Hopper's been playing really well. He's been one of the best players in MLS this year. Um, but if, you know what? If Clemson doesn't rate you, then he doesn't rate you. And if he doesn't feel you fit into the group uh, for whatever reason, then that's just how it, that's how, that's just the breaks, right? I mean, he's the coach. And, uh, you know, he has other guys that he's looking at, especially in the midfield. So, it's unfortunate, obviously, for Phil Haber, and I do. I personally think that you know what he is good enough uh, to at least be under consideration. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, you know, I, I rate him above an Alfredo Morales, although you know what Klinsman doesn't. So I mean, at the end of the day, Klinsman's the one who has to make the call on that. But I mean, I think there were some other names that were a lot more surprising. I mean, Jeff Cameron for one. Uh, I know mm-hmm. I've kind of alluded to it before on uh, the fact that you know he, he's had a long season. Uh, and from my understanding is that he, you know, he wanted to take the summer off and that's the understanding that I have. I mean, and, and if that's, you know, Stoke city, uh, wanting him to take a break or is it, is it Cameron wanting to take a break, whatever the case may be, uh, he will not be there. And I think that the, and then I feel like that's unfortunate because you're talking about one of the few people, one of the few Americans who is starting regularly in a top European league. And he's not on this on this group. So for me, I think that one's a bit more surprising. Um, obviously, Jermaine Jones is injured. Uh, Danny Williams, I know, turn heads. Uh, the fact that he wasn't there, but it needs to be noted that uh, again, if for those who have forgotten, last uh, the spring of 2014, in the lead up to the World Cup, he injured his knee playing for the U.S. Uh, it, it, it knocked him out for the rest of the year for Reading. And then obviously he missed the World Cup, and it took him a while to even get back from that in the next season. So uh, I, I believe he's taking time off to uh, give his knee a rest, his surgically repaired knee a rest. 
Um, and he'll be ready for the fall and for, for World Cup qualifying, which is around the corner. So from that that standpoint, that's not a case of, oh, you know, Klinsman's pushing him out. Klinsman's getting rid of him. I mean, obviously, he started him against Germany, so he still he still thinks pretty highly of him. Well, and, and just one quick thing. the Alan Gordon, as much as he is a bruiser, he can also play with the ball at his feet, too. So I know a lot of people were like, Alan Gordon, what's up with that? Look, he can play. I mean, do we? I mean, we, let's all not all forget that he provided the game-winning assist for the U.S. to win. I think it was against Jamaica in Jamaica when they won 3-2. Um, right. Some other things that did stand well, out. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry, Alice. Well, I was going to add to that. I mean, if you th- look at it this way, right? Now, let's say, all right, Josie Atsador has just come back from a hamstring injury, yes. right? Uh, if you can avoid having to use him in the group stage then and save him for the knockout rounds, but then you need a physical forward for the group stage, Alan Gordon is absolutely good enough to, to play and contribute and be a factor in the group stage, right? I mean, you think they're playing – who do they have? Honduras, Panama, Haiti. Um, he, he can do something against those teams. He, he can absolutely be a factor against those teams. So, I mean, I think if you're just talking specifically the Gold Cup – I mean, why not? Why not put him in? I mean, he he can be a physical presence. You can have guys run off of him. Uh, if you want to play your four three three and have some speedy guys uh, around him, he can get he can do a job for you. And I think he at a right now the U.S. is lacking in the physical forward department. The big prototypical target forward they, they just they just don't have him. So I think that's why he sees Gordon as that possibility. Does it does it mean he's going to make the group? Definitely not. No. I can definitely see why he's on the team. Does he even get playing time if he does make the group? No. There's a lot of ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, a lot a lot is going to happen. But when you look at this roster, I mean, for the most part, Jurgen Klinsmann is, is married to this roster, Ivis. I mean, these are the guys he's going to have to call in, which brings up some questions, which, hey, the U-20s are doing pretty well right now. Unfortunately, we don't see a guy like Gideon Zellman brought up to this Gold Cup roster, which I would have loved to see him maybe get some playing time or maybe just immerse himself with the senior national team guys. You know, it's kind of surprising that we didn't at least see at least one U-20 player on this preliminary roster. Well, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, the U-20s are in the World Cup, right? I mean, this is a a long tournament for them already. Do you really want to have any of those guys playing in multiple tournaments in the same summer? Um, the one player, if, they, if you want to talk about a player from the 20s who, who could absolutely be a mix for the Gold Cup, Rubio Rubin would be that guy. I mean, he's a guy who, when you look, when you think about forwards, he's good enough to be in that mix, in that conversation. So, um, but again, I mean, he, he's got club commitments. So, you know, if you can have him focus on the Under 20 World Cup, have him get his break, because again, these guys need vacation. They need their, their month off to, to recharge What the are you batteries. talking about? They're 19-year-old kids, Ivis. Come on. Doesn't matter, man. You need to rest. Doesn't matter how old you are. You need to rest. Oh, they're nineteen, man. Come on, dude. They can go all day. They don't get hangovers. They don't. They don't. They're not sore the next morning. They're fine. Come on. You know what? And that's how your career gets cut cut short after like two or three seasons. You have to maintain your maintain. It's all about maintenance. And uh, look, Rubin's got a big year ahead of him in in, in the Netherlands with FCU track. Um, so it, it'll be good for him to to join them in preseason in in July and and. But as far as Zellum, yeah, it would have been interesting. But look, the guy—I mean, the kid is talented. But don't, don't rush it. Don't rush it with this kid. Um, you know, he I, needs to hit the gym ASAP. I mean, he needs to just give him a chance to grow. He's 18, right? I mean, he—he he is eligible for the next Under 20 World Cup. So that—I mean, let's not forget now. He's a young. He's young. So, but the, the but uh, I mean, you got to love the talent, though. the skill on the ball. The just—I'm not even going to go on that Gideon Zellum tangent. He's—he's he's an exciting prospect, but. The Gold Cup was probably a little ambitious. And before we move on and talk U-20s, we want to remind you that you can support your favorite soccer team, whether it be on the club site or national team level with all the international tournaments going on at SoccerLoco.com. They have a great selection of jerseys to choose from. And right now you can save 10% off your order by entering SBI10 on the website that is 10% off your entire order at soccerlocal.com. They're your one-stop shop for everything you need for soccer. You need gear, you need shirts, you need jerseys, you need anything soccer, they have it. Soccerlocal.com. Remember, enter in SBI10 and you get 10% off your entire order. And speaking of the U20s, the uh, super late game on Tuesday or Wednesday, I can't remember what morning it was, Ivis, but the U.S. played, they defeated 
Colombia 1-0. It was a very, very tough match. It was scrappy throughout the entire 90 minutes. Midfield battle was awesome. And for the U.S., they get the one goal. Rubio Rubin with the with the winner in this one. That's right after Paul Areola uh, provided the header on that. I mean, Paul Areola, I mean, the kid never stops. But the one thing that really impressed me about this U-20 squad, Ivis, against Colombia was the fact that they played team defense and they did not give up the entire 90 minutes. They kept pushing, kept working hard. Huge PK save at the end. And look, the U.S. is on to the quarterfinals. It's well-deserved, and these are a talented group of individuals. Oh, it was a big win for them. And the way they responded in the second half was was huge. But, uh, I mean, there's definitely some some issues there, some concerns there. Uh, when it comes down to it, I mean, they were really physically overmatched by Colombia. I mean, Colombian team, you got to give them credit. They were athletic. They were strong. I mean, they had they obviously have, they have technical quality as well, but – you just felt like Colombia just w- w- was a more physically mature team, and mm-hmm. they really bossed the U.S. for stretches, long stretches of that match. Credit to the U.S., credit to Tab Ramos. Second half, the, the adjustments were made. Second half, the team, the U.S. team did a better job of coping with that, coping with, with Colombia's physicality. And I think also Colombia wore down. I think Colombia, you know, you're that, you're that physical team, that strong team. Uh, it's hard to kind of maintain the level that they were at because they were all over the Americans in the first half. Mm-hmm. But credit to them in the second half. Credit to Emerson Hyman. I thought he really stepped his game up. Obviously, Rubin was huge for them. Uh, and then, you know, Zach Steff. I mean, let's face it, man, that guy. Huge. To make that big save. Because, look, you're facing, if, if he doesn't save that, it's 1-1 and you're a man down. And Columbia has all the momentum and they're probably going to score the winner. But he's made, he makes the save, and he absolutely psychs out Columbia after that. Because I tell you what, when they missed that penalty. Oh, yeah, they were done. They were done. You could tell. Man, these are kids, again, these are teenagers, 19, you know, some of them 20. Um, that, I mean, they're still a little fragile physically, I mean, uh, mentally in those kind, kind of situations. So as soon as he saves that PK, mm-hmm. I mean, it, the boost it gave the U.S., and the blow it, it the blow it, it it hit the the Colombian psyche with, I mean that's when you knew this game is is pretty much a wrap. So I mean credit to them, um, but they're in a tough spot now, man. They go into the quarterfinals, they're going up against a tough Serbia team, and they're going to be without their Mackitaw is obviously out for the seat, out for the tournament with a with a broken toe, but now Bradford Jamison's out. Um, it's still unclear what the injury issue with his him is, whether it's a neck, whether it's concussion. But my understanding is he will not be available for the game against Serbia on Sunday, uh, on Saturday, I'm sorry. Well, Sunday in New Zealand, late Saturday evening if you're here in America. Um, but right there, I mean, you talk, he, no Bradford Jamison, no Makital. You're going up against a tough Serbia team. No Kellen Acosta, who's suspended uh, one match for the for the, the yellow cards and the red card he, he, he uh, received against Colombia. So uh, US, U.S. is in a tough spot, and they're going to need Zach Steffen, Emerson Heinemann, Rubin, Ariola, Zellum, they're going to need everybody to step up. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the what they showed in the second half against against Colombia, this is a team that can do that. This is a team that, you know what, when the chips are down, some of these guys can step up. They have the kind of fortitude. I mean, their defense. Look, Carter, Cameron Carter-Vickers and Matt Miaska, they were excellent. Uh, Carter-Vickers has been excellent the whole tournament. So, uh, well, except <laughs> except the Ukraine game. Um, nobody yeah. was excellent that game. That game doesn't yeah. exist. We've erased that from the memory banks, uh, but no, you know what? I, I, I tell you what, this team is—it's—it it, it has—it can get to the semis, and uh, I, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure a few of us, I'm sure a lot of American fans are going to stay up a little bit later on Saturday night to see what these kids are about. Well, I think sa- Saturday night is technically the early game, which I think believe it starts at nine thirty here on the West Coast, which would be twelve thirty for you, Ivis. So it is technically um, the early game, but for me, with with these U twenties. As long as they continue to play as a team, and, and that's what we saw against Colombia. And you're right. I mean, Colombia physically was better. Uh, they, they were faster, and they were and they were stronger. I mean, Colombia really bossed the U.S. men's national team midfield around at times. But the U.S. I mean, what you constantly saw was team defending, guys working for each other, guys playing for each other. And and I know that seems so cliche, where it's like, well, shouldn't they always do that? No, teams always don't do that. That's that's the reality. I mean, sometimes teams don't talk to each other on the field. I mean, you hear that when coaches, when the coaches will tell players to talk more. So for the U20s, I mean, these it's a tight-knit group, Ivis. I mean, you definitely see these, these guys 
have been around for years already with each other. They all play for each other. And if they can continue to do that, I could see this team possibly moving on and at least finishing in the top four. Which, look, if you fin- if you told me that the U.S. Ivis had the opportunity to finish top four at this World Cup, I think all of us would have said that is a fantastic World Cup. I think we're all going to be selfish and say they should win it now. But still, a top four finish would be a resounding success for the U.S. U-20 team. Absolutely. <laughs> See, that's when you know I said something good when you have no rebuttal to that at all, Ivis. Nah, I don't want to. I don't want to break your spirit. It was a nice. It was a nice. You got the soapbox out. You, you did the nice rah rah. See, but notice how my soapbox it. is like two, three minutes. Take notes, Ivis. Take notes. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> you're, you're, the, you're the king of two minute fluff bites. I love it. Yeah, man, appreciate it. Um, but look against Serbia. I mean, can this U.S. team actually come away with a victory? I, I haven't seen Serbia play, so I'm not going to pretend like I know them that well. Um, my my dark horse team is Mali. I think they're awesome. I hope they beat Germany. But I mean, do, is this <laughs> opportunity for the U.S. to defeat Serbia? I mean, do you think this is a reality? They can. They can. I mean, but again, it's going to come back to the midfield. Uh, being able to to deal with the physical Serbian team. I mean, we saw it against the Ukraine. You, it, 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 it was there were similarities between the, the the Ukraine game and the Colombia game from the standpoint of they both were first halves where the U.S. was physically outmatched. I mean, if, if for those who forgot the first half of the Ukraine game, the Ukraine they, they just they they, they hustled. Uh, they were more physical. They, they 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 were a little chippy. Um, they really tried to get under the U.S.'s skin. Um, they were tenacious. They were, that, that was the word that came to mind with the Ukraine. They were tenacious. Now, Colombia, they were also tenacious, but they were then they were athletic. They, they were just, I mean, they were fast. They were strong. Um, and the difference between those two games was how the U.S. responded in the second half. Of the of the of the Ukraine game, it was it was it was you had a U.S. team that was like, well, we're already in the knockout rounds. This game doesn't mean that much. They, there wasn't the urgency there against Colombia. The urgency was obviously there because your tournament is on the line. You will go home if you don't win, and they responded great, excellently to that. So Serbia will be a similar uh, present similar challenges to Ukraine, uh, but the U.S. just has to show that. That willingness to fight when when elimination's on the line, and I I liked what I saw from guys like Heinemann, Ariola, Rubin, um, and obviously the defense. So you know what? If they can play at that level, they will. They can absolutely beat Serbia. Okay, I got a conspiracy theory for you, Ivis, and here's the reason why the U.S. lost to Ukraine. When they looked at the schedule for the not for the for the one-off games after the round of sixteen. The U.S. doesn't have to move based off how their schedules worked out for them. So the quarterfinals, semifinals, and final, it's all in Auckland. They sat there and said, hey, if we finish second in the group, we can win our first round of 16 game, then we don't have to travel at all for the rest of the World Cup. That is why they lost to Ukraine. The only reason why. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know, man. I don't know if they lost on purpose. I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I mean, it's worked out. What's funny is when they lost to Ukraine, the thinking at the time was, Oh man, they just gave themselves a much tougher road uh, in the knockout rounds. Um, but now, when you look at when you when you look at it now, uh, Ukraine, who ended up winning the group, went and played Senegal and lost in, in penalties, uh, and now the U.S. and U.S. advance against Colombia. So, and, and they're playing a Serbia team that you know what, you can beat the Serbia team. I mean, not that they're a pushover by any means. So, so much for for that. What we thought at the time. And I got to tell you, so I watched the shootout, the penalty shootout, Senegal and Ukraine. And look, now this isn't it's not sour grapes. This isn't about, oh, they beat the U.S. So I can't like them as a team. <laughs> um, actually, I liked I liked them as a team. I thought they were tenacious. I thought they they showed a lot of heart and, and toughness and, and quality. Kovalenko with the hat trick for them. But I, I, say, I like that kid. That kid's good. No, he's legit. He's legit. Um, but the coach. There was something about the Ukraine coach that I just did not like. I could not stand. There was something about him. Maybe it was when he was doing the whole like showing the card thing, like when there would be a foul and he was on the sidelines with the hand up, like asking. Like I hate when players do that. For a coach to do that, it's just like I just want to vomit. So I gotta, <laughs> I gotta admit, I full full disclosure when 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 Senegal eliminated Ukraine, I got a little joy. There was a little shout from there. Because, you know, there was something about that Ukraine. He was just a little smug. A little smug for my taste. Really? I didn't pick that and, up at all. It was just me. Maybe it's this just is, me. This, this must be your Jersey thing coming out. Yeah, what does it have to do with Jersey, man? It's just something. There was just something about him that I – and like I said, <laughs> hey, the card thing? Come on. 
who who a coach a coach doing that? Come on, you, I'm sorry, you lose you lose all credibility there. So thank you, Senegal. Thank you, Senegal goalkeeper who made three outstanding saves. And talk about swagger. This goalkeeper, right? So so the the penalty shootout starts. And the Ukraine player is like walking up to get ready to take the kick. And the Senegal goalkeeper's on the sidelines having a drink, <laughs> just chilling. And he was it was a total psych out, total psych out job. And it worked to a T because he saved the first PK. He saved three PK, yeah. like great, great saves. These weren't like terrible PKs. These, uh, these were great saves. And and credit <laughs> to Senegal. But yes, Ukraine is gone, and their coach can go instead of pointing a card, he can point his air, airline ticket back to ukraine <laughs> all sorts of hate mail from you very very well said i feel like we somehow got to sneak in like the seinfeld ukraine is weak joke i can't figure out how to put that in the show we just did it worked out uh ivis so everyone plays all the teams play at june 14th which is um which is on saturday night slash sunday early morning if you're on the east coast you have brazil portugal uzbekistan senegal united states serbia and the United States will play the winner of Mali and Germany. Think about that. You could be playing Germany for a chance to go to the championship game of the World Cup. Oh, awesome, Ivis. Just awesome. Germany, man. They're they're a tough one. They're 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 the class of this tournament. I mean, them uh, Portugal. I mean, obviously Portugal and Germany both you know both had a bit of a tough time in the round of sixteen. But for me, they're still the class of the tournament. And if you're the U.S. and you can get to that semifinal, uh, it's all I mean, you're playing with house money at that point. And later today, the U.S. women's national team will be looking to pick up their second win at the World Cup up in Canada. They opened up the tournament with a 3-1 to win over Australia. Today, they're facing Sweden, a little bit of a tougher opponent, facing also their former head coach who's been throwing some shade at the women. Uh, Ivis, Sweden is a little bit of a tougher opponent before you have that letdown against Nigeria. However, though, Nigeria, man, looks like they came to show. For the women, though, against Sweden on Friday, what do they need to do to walk away with a victory here? Well, they need, I mean, as a, first of all, we have to talk about Pia Sanhaga and her comments. Um, Throwing nah, shade, yeah, man. Throwing nah, shade. And now, here's my thing, right? So I saw the comments, right? And I know the two comments in question that people were, uh, some people were, had had issue with. The one was the Abi Wambach, if, if I were the coach, she'd be a sub. Um, like, what's the pro- Like, that's her opinion. She's a coach. And it's not a completely out there opinion. I mean, Abi Wambach's up there in age. And there is something to be said for the the notion that when she's in your starting lineup, the team ends up kind of gravitating towards trying to feed her the ball and it becomes about her. And it kind of, it, you can argue it limits other players and maybe the team would be a bit more dynamic with someone else up mm-hmm. top. I mean, that, that's not a completely out there theory. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that was that bad. As far as the Carly Lloyd one, look, if, if that's how she felt, then she's, then she's the coach. Like she, if she felt Carly Lloyd was difficult to deal with, then that's her. I mean, that's her opinion. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with it. I didn't see the problem with it. Now, having said that, you probably didn't want to do that right before you're going to play them, <laughs> yeah, because you are giving them a little bit bulletin board material, and I'm sure Carly Lloyd is going to take it as a, as motivation for her to go out there and really, really crush Sweden. So, was it the smartest thing to say? Probably not. But at the same time, did I have that? I think it was like the worst thing in the world. And she said, "No, she was a co- former coach talking about players and the t- and the things that she said." I had zero problem with. I'm sure the U.S. women disagree. Well, hopefully, the U.S. uses that as fuel to kick off the game and start on the right foot. Because let's face it, I was against Australia. The first 45 for the women were not the strongest. The second half much improved. But look, Sweden. It's Sweden, man. I mean, they're one of the top. They're one of the top powerhouses in the world. Constantly, always competing for the World Cup. I mean, they, they have tons of, of high finishes in the World Cup throughout the history of it for them. I mean, what do the U.S. women need to do on Friday? They have to start on the right foot, Ivis. I mean, look, starting here, shaky first forty-five against Sweden. That's not going to be a recipe for, for. It's not going to be a recipe for success. Right, their midfield needs to play better. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Obviously, Megan Rapino. Uh, gave you some moments of br- moments of brilliance, but I think as a as a unit against Sweden, I mean you're gonna have to be able to keep the ball. And uh, I think it, it, if they if they're feeling good about this matchup, it, it's because of how Sweden looked in that first game against uh, uh, Nigeria. I mean Nigeria had, had you know kind of ran through them, especially in the second half. So if you're the U.S., you think to yourself, you know what, we can wear this Sweden team down, but the first half is going to be important because you want to set the tone. You can't have another flat forty-five. 
Uh, and this is a big game for Carly Lloyd. This is the kind of game that she needs to kind of impose herself on. So we'll see if they can do it. They're the favorites. They should win this game, but it, by no means is it going to be easy. And the U.S. women take on Sweden. That will be at 5 o'clock on the West Coast, 8 o'clock on the East Coast. I should probably switch those, but hey, you know what, Ivis? West Coast is the best, best coast. We all know that. <laughs> Settle down. Yeah. Um, some other news, just some general soccer news. Some good news is that D.C. United, Ivis, we are one step closer to a stadium. There's probably 100 steps. So we're on step number, what, 57 at this point. But it's another step forward. A vote got passed. It looks like it's become legit. And plus, more importantly, this expels all those rumors that they were going to move to Virginia and out by Dulles Airport where the stadium was going to be built. It's hopefully, going. It's hopefully fingers crossed, going to still stay in the downtown D.C. area. It's another step further along. And um, look, it's slowly but surely, Ivis, it will hopefully get there and finally get to completion. Man, this has been going on for so long. It's unbelievable. Um when that stuff came out about Virginia, about the possibility of moving to Virginia, that that always felt like a bit of a smokescreen. It always felt like a little bit of a, a, a little uh, bargaining ploy, if you will. Um, so it's good to see kind of D.C. step up, uh, well, the district itself step up and, 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 and show some commitment to D.C. I mean, it's funny, man. Just when you think this whole thing is already resolved, we get a whole nother, a whole fresh round of uncertainty. Uh, I can't even imagine being a DC United fan. I mean, I'm sure they're they're sick of it already. Um, but it is good. It, it it seems like positive news. But we've been here again. Talk to me when they put some shovels in the ground. Mm-hmm. Talk talk to me when they schedule that opener because I, I'm kind of over this whole thing. It just it's 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 politics at its finest, man. I mean, because the thing is, yes, it passed a vote, but it's going to go to another vote, and I don't know how many votes are after that. I don't want to pretend like I know DC politics well, but. Um, it just, it's, it's a headache and, and you know what, pat on the back to whoever's trying to help push this through for DC United. Cause I'm sure they're losing their mind at the same time too, with all of these different hurdles they have to jump through almost probably every single day. And around the league, there is discussions coming out about the idea of a core player. You ask what that is in simple terms. It's like bringing in another elite player, a fourth DP if you will. That's a very simplified version of that. But, Ivis, what do you make of this, of, of MLS discussing the core player slot? Well, I mean, for any, anyone who's kind of kept track of, of, of league, league uh, happenings, uh, this was first talked about uh, back in the, in the winter. There was the, the kind of the first conversations about it, and when the whole CBA was, the whole CBA negotiations was going on, there was kind of the first, uh, first glimpses of something like this possibly happening. Uh, and you saw that with the signings of Mix Discarude, Breck Shea, uh, also Kyle Beckerman, to contracts that were structured in a way that they would fit into this very kind of slot. And the initial idea, when you think about it, you think, oh, this is another DP slot. Uh, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Uh, basically, the idea will be that each team will have this this core player slot. Uh, and it's a limited it, it's a limited salary it's not you know millions of dollars the slot i mean this is we're talking under a million from my understanding it's like under a million but a high enough kind of tax bracket where that it can it can reward um players that you've had on your on your team for a while that have have played themselves to a a point where where they're deserving of a big spot but you know you also don't want to have to punish uh, the team with the kind of the dp designation um, so in some ways you can say, yes, this is kind of like a fourth DP, but from my understanding, it, it really is a, a way to, to, to help, um, establish players who've come up through the team, um, and kind of graduate into an elite status and it's a way to reward them. Um, and you're saying you're, and you're seeing that, I mean, you, I, I feel like, I don't know if it's Graham Zussi, um, but I know, Be- I mean, Beckerman's a good example of one and I think it's great. I think it's great. It, it's funny. It's, it's such a far cry from, when you went a few years back when basically American – the idea of an American getting a DP, DP deal was unheard of. The idea of an American who had who had, who had put you know made his career in MLS getting a DP, DP deal was unheard of. And now not only are you seeing players you know signing DP deals, working their way up to that, like in Omar Gonzalez, but now you're, you're, you have this possibility of this, this core player slot, which will create even more – High-paying opportunities for Americans, so you love you love seeing that, and obviously it doesn't have to be American. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you think about kind of what how it's structured and how 
it's kind of catering towards players who, you know, veterans who, who put their time in with teams. More often than not, it's probably going to be an American. Um, but it's it's great to see. It's great to see because the, the more high salary slots you can have, the more quality you can keep on teams. And, and I think it's a great sign. Um, Adrian Heath is tampering with Dom Dwyer. If you missed this, Orlando City head coach said that pretty much that he, he quote, there's no secret that Dom wants to be here. We've tried to get him here. We've done everything we can. Peter Vermees, on the other hand, is not happy about this. He said it was uncalled for, and he's just, look, he's very upset with this. It's back and forth between two coaches. Um, I, ho- I hope it continues because I think it's great. Um, but, I mean, what did you make, Ivis, of, of all this with Adrian Heath's comments on, on Dom Dwyer? Well, I thought we talked about it last show. I could be wrong, but, no, I mean, I knew, I knew this was going to happen. I mean, as soon as you heard the comments, um, you knew KC was not going to be happy about this. And... Rightfully so. I mean, you can't look. I love Adrian Heath. Guy's hilarious. He's, he's a good coach. He's a good guy. But, you know, he, he kind of got a little cozy with this this situation. And, uh, I, you know, I don't think he, he I think he he, had, he made a little bit too much light of it. I mean, and maybe it was uh, somewhat in jest. Whatever the case may be, when you're the coach of a team, you cannot outright talk about the players of another team and saying that they nope. want to be with your team. You want them on your team. I mean, that's just understood, right? So you, you can't blame Casey for being unhappy about that. Um, and now you wonder what's going to happen. I mean, is the league going to step in? Is there going to be a fine? Um, I mean, I think for me, I think there, I'm, I think there's going to have to be a fine, right? I think because a precedent needs to be set to remind teams and remind coaches, to remind officials in the in the league that, look, you can't talk about other players on other teams. You just can't do it. So it's an unfortunate situation, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it's not the end of the world, but I'm sure Adrian Heath will have learned a lesson from all this. Well, and speaking of Orlando City, they'll be taking on D.C. United, who's coming, D.C. coming off a loss against Toronto FC, but Orlando City, Ivis, they're starting to string it together. Two wins, two draws in their last four matches. Is this the Orlando City that we came to expect this season? I don't know if anyone was expecting a ton out of an expansion team, but it, it is. I mean, if you're an Orlando City fan, then it, it, this is the team you were hoping you're, you're starting to see. I mean, look, they're not playing people off the park and blowing them out, but they are starting to show some 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 quality, some some resilience, some ability to to win difficult games, and I, I think that's a, a credit to Adrian Heath. Um, you know, I think he's done a good job of keeping that team together, especially you know early goings, early, some of those early results. I mean, think about how many how many of the games early in the season that they outplayed the opponent, but they didn't get the full three points. And, you know, that that stuff definitely comes back to haunt you. But at the same time, it can cost your team confidence. Uh, I think they've kind of come through that. And, and look, they're on a four game unbeaten streak now. But just before that, they were on a four, uh, you know, oh, three and one run as well. So um, they've done well to get there. Kyle Aaron. How about let's talk about Kyle Aaron, the rookie forward uh, looking like right now, rookie of the year front runner. I mean, he's got five goals. Uh, finishing chances, really giving Orlando what they needed up top, um, and we'll see how he does. And this is this is a good match for him uh, against DC. Tough defense. Talking Bobby Boswell, uh, either Steve Birnbaum or Kofi Apare in the middle. Um, I think Laren's going to have a chance here to, to to show what he can do. Um, and this is the kind of game where I think he he it, it, you know he has a chance to showcase himself. FC Dallas will be taking on the Seattle Sounders. Uh, Dallas Ivis entering this match with their last win on May 9th. They've had two losses and two draws, um, which is kind of surprising from FC Dallas. They're coming in this game also uh, with a with a handful of injuries to their back line. Uh, it may be a tall task for them against Seattle this weekend. Well, this is an interesting one, man, because you have Dallas struggling. I mean, there's no other way to say it. They've, they've really hit a rough patch of form, and now they have to go up uh, up to Seattle uh, and face a Seattle team that you know is going to be closer to full strength, and they're going to be a little uh, a little pissed off after that loss to KC. That you know they definitely feel like they were done wrong. Um, so this you know what this is a great opportunity, a uh, great opportunity for for Seattle to, to start racking up the points. Uh, the blood's in the water there, man. Dallas is struggling. They've really struggled to find their form. Obviously, the Fabian Castillo has been out, so that that's a big big that's been a big blow for them. I, I'm not sure if he's going to be back yet for this one, but. Uh, my money's on Seattle on this one, man. I think I think Seattle, looking at the schedule, looking at them bringing guy, you know, having some guys come back. Uh, I think they're going to really start hitting their stride. Uh, Columbus Crew playing host to the LA Galaxy. Crew entering this game, I was coming off three. I'm coming, sorry, coming off back to back losses in their last five games. 
They've lost three and only drawn two. For them, the positive is, hey, you're playing the Galaxy who come into this match with a few injuries, guys on international duty. If Columbus needs a win in the worst way possible, it may happen this weekend against the LA Galaxy. But it's the LA Galaxy, Ivis. They always get it done when their backs are against the wall. Still not going to be easy task for Columbus, but still, I mean, opportunity for Columbus to pick up a victory and right the ship. Uh, I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't know what to make of Columbus. I mean, they, they, they're on this this old 3-2 and two, uh, slump, and they're really struggling right now. And and L.A. isn't really the team you want to go up against uh, when you're when you're in a slump. And, and look, you know, L.A. obviously isn't tearing it up either. They, they, they've, uh, uh, they've dropped some points now the last couple of matches, but, I mean... I got to go LA in this one. I got to go LA, even though it's in Columbus. Um, I just, I mean, I'm not. I need to see. I need to see something out of Columbus that I haven't seen in a while now. Um, so this, this is a tough one to call, but I'm going to go LA, even though LA is on the road. Uh, Robbie Keane should be back for that one, um, and if he is, uh, I mean, I like, I like their chances. I'm going to go LA on the road un- until I see Columbus start to really show the team that, that we saw earlier in the year. Uh, I can't. I, I just can't. I'm not gonna. I can't pick them against a team like LA. New York City, Montreal Impact squaring off this weekend. New York coming off their first first victory in what seems like about I don't know three years for them. Montreal, they're on fire right now, slowly climbing up the Eastern Conference. Montreal, man, think about this: last five matches, twelve points in the last five matches. That is how you get back into the playoff picture. New York, any chance to stop Montreal's winning streak? <laughs> that 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 phrase just sounds weird, right? <laughs> Can they stop Montreal? Like that's like when's the last time we had that? And that, when's Never. the last time we ever had to say that? Never, like, never. Really? Like exactly. I think that is pretty impressive. Uh, credit to Frank Frank Lopas, man. He's done a great job turning things around there. Um, NLCFC has a chance. I think they do. But you know what, Montreal, man, they're playing really well. I'm going to give Montreal the edge in this one. I, I just think that. They're playing with confidence right now, and and NYC, even though they got that win in Philly, um, I'm not sold yet. I'm not sold on them yet. Um, I mean, obviously they'll get mixed this screwed back. Um, this I think this is actually going to be a better game than people w- would expect. I think this is going to be a good contest, but I think I'm, I, I got to give the edge to the impact. I just think they're playing really well right now. Uh, the New England Revolution taking on the Chicago Fire. New England needs a win in the worst pay, worst way possible. Chicago Fire. They're not a pushover team. They're, they're still a team that are going to push you hard and play for 90 minutes. We saw that last week. Fortunately, they just weren't able to walk away with any points against Orlando City. But for New England, Ivis, I mean, dude, they, they need a victory. And if, look, they have to beat Chicago this weekend. And I'm not saying it's the end of the world if they don't. But results like this is what possibly could keep them out of the playoffs or keep them at a low spot in the playoffs. New England, they have to beat Chicago this weekend, right? <laughs> it's, it's early June. There's no have tos about it, but um, yeah, no. I mean, they want they you, you want to stop the bleeding, right? If you're New England, uh, let's not forget now they would they lose nine in a row last year, uh, and they still managed to, to kind of get you know get off the mat. Um, but no, this is a game they want to win. They need to, they you know they, they've been on such a tough run uh, run of results that um, you're back home. You're going up against a Chicago team that's also struggling. I mean, they have one win in seven. Uh, they haven't exactly been tearing it up. I'm going to go New England in this one. I think they're going to win. I think they're going to right the ship. I think, you know, they get Juan Agudelo back from na- from international duty. Um, there's still the questions about their defense, right? Their defense. Can their defense settle things down a bit uh, after what's been a rough few weeks? Um, I think they will. I think this is the game where they start to kind of get back into their, into their form. I'm going to go New England in this one. And it's a light week for Major League Soccer, so those are all the games this weekend. You have four on Saturday, one on Sunday. We do have some Americans abroad news to talk about. You had five Americans with movement in Mexico. Greg Garza, Joe Croner, Edgar Castillo, Jonathan Bornstein, and Miguel Ibarra. We'll talk about him in just a second. But when you look at these moves, Ivis, what did you think about all of these movements for the American players in Mexico? Well, I mean, I think it was a. First of all, it's crazy, uh, the 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 whole Liga MX draft uh, thing down there. And for those who aren't familiar with it, it's not really a draft in the traditional sense. They call it a draft, but basically, what it is is a trade window where you know teams can, in teams within Liga MX can make trades with other teams, and players can make and move within the league during this window. And and basically, it's like a big. 
it's like a big fantasy football draft. You know, it's like there's just wheeling and dealing. Everyone's got their computers out, their cell phones are rocking. They're all just just making just the trade. Every team's making moves. You got some teams that go crazy and and you know bring in a whole new team. You got other teams that stand pat. Um, so it was unbelievable to see so many Americans move. And as far as the moves go, um, I think I think Grant Garza at Atlas. I mean, it's a one year loan. He just signed a new deal with Tijuana, so I know some people. I know people were caught off guard by Garza being allowed to move on loan, and you kind of wonder what, what, what's why even do that? What's the point of that? Um, you know, I, I'm sure there's a, a, a monetary aspect to that. Uh, I'm sure Atlas is, is is making it worth Tijuana's while to to make that move. Um, so I mean, I think I think you know, looking at off of last year, I mean, I think Atlas, I think it's an upgrade. I mean, look at a team they're just playing. They just played in Libertadores. So it, uh, for me, I like that move for Garza. Uh, now you had Castillo, Edgar Castillo, go to Monterrey. I like that move as well. I mean, I think he, you know, he's reunited with uh, Turco Mohammed, the uh, the coach who coached him at Tijuana when they won the title uh, with Tijuana. I think that's a good move. Um, and it's all kind of like a dominoes effect, right? I mean, Castillo goes to Monterrey, Garza goes to Atlas, and now John Requejo, the under twenty left back, now he's going to get games at Tijuana. He, uh, you know, not that he's going to be the day-to-day starter, but I mean, he should be able to start in cup matches. He's going to get his share of minutes. So that, so you love seeing that, uh, how that all kind of played out. Uh, the Jonathan Bornstein one, no surprise there. Uh, Querétaro chose to buy him outright. Obviously, he was on loan from Tigres, uh, and and he obviously started for them, played well enough for them uh, to earn a new contract, earn a transfer, and that's great to see him rewarded for the hard work they put that he put in there. Joe Corona's move to Veracruz, uh, I, I'm a little surprised by this. I had heard that that Monterrey was a real possibility where he also would have been reunited with Turco Mohamed, with Antonio Mohamed. Um, that didn't happen. Now he's off to Veracruz. Talk about going far away from Tijuana as you can. You go from uh, you go from the Pacific all the way over, over to the Atlantic. Um, but you know what? It's a fresh start. It, on some level, it is disappointing to see his time end at Cholos because, look, Corona was a part of, of helping that team establish itself, obviously. I mean, he scored the goal, if I recall correctly, he's, he scored the goal to move him up to League IMAX, right, way back when. So, I mean, he kind of grew up with that team. And, you know, on some level you always thought, okay, maybe it was always inevitable that eventually he'd move. But it's still, now that it's happened, it's a little kind of, it's a little sad. It's a little sad to see that time end. Um, and then last one, Miguel Ibarra, it, I don't. I, as far as I know, as of this moment, I don't know if the deal is done, done, done. Um, Ibar, Ibarra still had to come to terms, personal terms, and sign a contract. I think that's kind of it, it's kind of gonna happen, right? But that's a big move for him, a huge move for him uh, to go from Minnesota United to Club Leon, uh, a big team. I mean, now they're a big team. They they got money behind them, um, so I think that's a great move. And so, I mean, it is really is a Cinderella story, Miguel Ibarra. He, he gets drafted in by MLS. He gets let go. He latches on to Minnesota, becomes a star there, earns national team call-ups. Now he's making a million-dollar transfer. I don't know. I don't have the exact amount, but from what I'm told, it's at least a million-dollar a million dollar transfer. Now he's making a million-dollar transfer to Club Lyon, where he'll have a great opportunity to, uh, to do well. I mean, he, given his style, I think he can do well in Mexico. So overall, I think it was a pretty big week for, for uh, the Americans in Mexico. And moving across the Atlantic, young player Mark Pelosi has been released um, by Liverpool. What do you make of this move, Ivis, for him, who had his moments when he was with the club, suffered a broken leg, just couldn't get back his footing? I mean, what does Mark Pelosi do going forward? Does he come back to Major League Soccer, or does he stick it out in Europe? What 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 do you see playing out for him now? It's I mean, this is definitely a, a tough story, a very sad story when you think about it. I mean, this is a kid who was really highly regarded at Liverpool. And I mean, from what I understand, I mean, uh, in some circles, he was even more highly regarded as a prospect than Raheem Sterling uh, before Raheem Sterling broke through with the first team. Uh, obviously, the broken leg was a serious, serious setback for him. One he hasn't recovered from and and one he may never recover from. Uh, and it's unfortunate that he goes from being this 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 prospect that Liverpool absolutely adored to now they parted ways with him just because, you know what, he's just not the player that he was. And it's a business; they have to move on. And now Pelosi, you know, he's in a bit of he's a bit of an, in, in a bit of a bind now because, from my understanding, is yes, he is in talks with MLS. There is that possibility. 
However, from a financial standpoint, you know, he was on some big money at Liverpool as a top prospect at Liverpool. That's not the case in MLS. Now, when you you know, MLS teams just aren't gonna pay big money for an unproven player who, you know, doesn't have kind of a, a body of work and also is coming off a major injury. So if you're Mark Pelosi, do you suck it up? Do you take do you take a, a significant pay cut? Uh, I don't know how many options he has, to be honest with you. I don't really know where he goes from here if he doesn't go that route, because I'm sure if he's willing to take the pay cut, I'm sure some teams w- w- will take a chance on him. But it's up to him. It's up to him to decide just, you know, what he wants to do next. And hopefully he can turn things around. Obviously, he played in the Toulon tournament recently, um, had his moments in that. But uh, it, it's just it's unfortunate. And and we all I mean, and, and at the end of the day, all you can hope for is that that eventually at some point he can get close to the, the player that he was. And in NASL, um, New York Cosmos midfielder Marco Senna has announced his retirement um, long storied career with the Spanish national team, played in Spain for a number of years, has been with the Cosmos since 2013. Um, another legend, Ivis, hanging up the cleats. Right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's about that time. Obviously, it'll be a big loss for the Cosmos, and, and he's done a great job since they signed him. I mean, obviously, he's a class player um, from, his, from his time with the Spanish national team in Villarreal, and he's come over with a really good attitude and, and, and been a big part of of helping the Cosmos kind of become a, a force in NASL, uh, obviously helped them win that title. Um, it's, it, it, I'll tell you what, for me, I'm very interested to see who comes after him now. I mean, it, now that when he moves on, I'm sure the Cosmos will look to replace him uh, with another star player. And, you know, they have ambitious plans. And and uh, I think if anything, that the, the Senna experiment has gone really well. And, and you hope, you know, for the Cosmos' sake, you hope that, People outside, people in the soccer world take note of that, and maybe you have more players consider the Cosmos that maybe wouldn't have before. Well, Ivis, with that, it wraps up today's SBI show. Before I let you go for the weekend, anything else we need to uh, need to break down? I think that's it, man. It's uh, well, you know, what we what we didn't talk about yet. Hmm. Uh, Copa America is on. Yes, Copa America uh, kicked off on Thursday. Chile beat Ecuador two uh, zero. The tournament is here, and yeah, let me tell you what, man. If you're a soccer fan, you need to be watching Copa America. I mean, this is high level stuff. Some great teams, obviously. Once you get to the knockout rounds, it's another thing altogether. There's some going to be some juicy matchups in this. Uh, obviously, Brazil, Colombia is one. Uh, Argentina, Uruguay is another. Uh, it, it's a great tournament. I can't, I can't wait, and my kids can't wait. My kids are all over it. There are new Panini books out now, Panini sticker books just for Copa America, and they're already on top of those. Uh, I'm excited, man. I, I'll tell you what. I'm gonna pick. And look, it's a chalk pick. I'm going. I'm going Argentina to win it. Uh, Chile actually. I mean, I, I didn't look at the bracket, so I don't know if it can actually work out this way. But just for my opinion, I go Argentina one, Chile two, Colombia three, Brazil four. I think Brazil's gonna. You know, ha- I, I think they're gonna have a disappointing tournament uh, by their standards. Just you know, no Oscar. Thiago Silva's been benched uh, by Dunga. So I, I'm not sold. Even though Neymar is there and he's going to lead them, I, I have my questions about them. But I'm going to go Argentina. I think Messi, Aguero, Mascherano, I think they get the job done. All right, Ivis. Uh, with that, I'll let you go for the weekend, man. You enjoy the soccer. No prediction? No, 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 no Copa America prediction? Uh, Mexico's going to win it all. <laughs> no, here's my prediction. Mexico will flame out in the group stage. There you go. Uh, I don't know. I think they'll get out of the groups. I think they will. I think they brought. They took enough talent to the tournament to do okay. Uh, I mean, they have to deal with. I mean, they're not going to beat Chile, but I think. Yeah, you know what? They actually might flame out because Ecuador's Ecuador. I think is going to be tough, but uh, you know what? This Mexico team's not bad. Mm, who's your on. pick to win it, man? I don't care about Mexico. I want, who's your pick to win it? Oh, gee, uh, I don't. <laughs> um, hmm. you got look. You're exactly the kind. Of, you should be watching Copa America, man. You, it's clear you're not up on your South American soccer. I'm not. Uh, I'll find. Here, my fearless prediction will be Colombia. Okay, that's not a bad one. Now, here's the thing: you not only should you watch it for the soccer and 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 to, to kind of you know bone up on your on your knowledge of players, but it will absolutely probably help your pronunciations. No, that will never happen. <laughs> uh, it can't hurt. I mean, you got to try something, man. That will never happen. My pronunciations even go into real life too, where I can't say people's names that I mean. <laughs> maybe if you hear enough unique names, if you watch Copa America, maybe it'll start to come. Maybe, mm, like, it's like yeah. riding a bike. It's like riding a bike. You think so? I don't know. 
right, fine. If you don't, have, you know what? Don't watch Cobra America. It's fine. I'll watch it. You can watch the new season of Orange, Orange is the New Black. That's out now. So that's that's more your speed. Mm, I don't like that show. You watched it? I did. I watched the first season, and that was, you know, I thought the first season was good. Then I thought the show kind of, you know, was a little too all over the place. After I like that. It. I think it's good. I think it's funny. I think it's interesting. I mean, it's a good, it's a good couple show. It's a good show that you can watch with your wife. I'm you not, know, first off, like, I'm not married yet, so take it easy. You might as well get ready, man. It's coming. The, the countdown is on. T minus seven months. I know. We we just got our uh, our save the dates in the mail. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah, and I we it. and we and we get to go register soon. Oh, I can't wait for that. We're gonna. T- <laughs> Garrett is registered at uh, at Soccer Loco. For those of you who don't know, oh yes, um, yes, Soccer Loco. Yes, you can buy me uh, some cleats and some jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I was with that. You enjoy your weekend, man, and uh, and I'll talk to you on uh, on Sunday when we'll be recapping U twenties U.S. Women's National Team and the week that it was for Major League Soccer. Enjoy the weekend, man. You too, man. And as always, everyone, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for the reviews. Thank you for the comments. That is Ivis Glarsep. I am Garrett Cleverly. This is the SBS Show.